The 25th and final album, released a mere two days before his death, Black Star was intended to be a parting gift for his fans. It was recorded largely in secret while he was secretly dying of liver cancer. The album is experimental, bucking the rock and roll trends that gave him his rise to fame, giving way into jazz and hip-hop influences. Fans and critics alike have also noted the repeated references to death in the lyrics written by a man dealing with his own mortality. This week, we're talking about the legendary David Bowie's final album, Black Star. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Hi, and welcome to Any Album You Like, where... I'm repeatedly subjected to watching The Wizard of Oz synced up to various albums chosen by my guests. This week we have Tara Johnson from Tara and Andrew versus The Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Hello and welcome, Tara. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. So the the two questions that I ask of every guest, first and foremost, the first one is, of all the albums uh, that you could have chosen for this, why did you choose Black Star by David Bowie. Well, first off, I've been basically a lifelong David Bowie fan ever since I was a little kid growing up in the 80s with Labyrinth. I've just been a big fan of his music. Uh, Ooh, I just knocked my microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't happen again. Um, I thought this album in particular would be an interesting fit with The Wizard of Oz because I've seen a little bit of possibly references to some of the themes in his albums before. Blackstar in particular, he references being free just like that bluebird, which I took possibly to be a reference to the bluebird of happiness, which is also called out in Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, So I just thought it would be interesting to see if there were other thematic similarities or um, any other sort of coincidences that I could find between the album and the movie. So yeah, that that's kind of it, really. Um, it's an album I like a lot. And if nothing else, it's something that I wouldn't have minded to hear a couple times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always a really important one. Because uh, for the most part, it's usually two to two and a half um, playthroughs of any given album. So it's definitely got to be something that you like. And uh you kind of already answered the the second one, um, which is just what did you expect to get out of watching this movie with this specific album? Yeah, uh, so I thought that the tones in a lot of the music could have brought out some of the less saccharine elements of the movie. Growing up, speaking of, you know, the 80s and being a child of the 80s, I was Definitely more of a a fan of Return to Oz. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Um, I think I've seen it maybe like once. Uh, It's it's been a while if I've ever seen it. I definitely don't remember anything from it. Oh, it's a it's a really really dark uh, sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Um, So I I watched that movie repeatedly throughout my childhood. You know, I saw The Wizard of Oz my share of times as well as a kid, but I was. Definitely the person who was watching more of the darker movies or into horror movies a little earlier than most kids are, I think. You know, there's some of those kind of darker tones to the album. 
and and I just thought it would be an interesting contrast. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to actually talk to you a lot more about this album in particular, because I'm actually, I, I'm a casual David Bowie fan at best. Um, I, I'm, of course, familiar with, you know, Space Oddity. Um, I'm, I'm actually currently learning to play uh, Ziggy Stardust on the guitar. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with kind of his big, you know, well-known singles. Um, I've never listened to this album at like... At, I've never listened to any song off of this album uh, before this, so I'm I'm actually really interested to kind of get your viewpoint on it as a lifelong David Bowie fan, um, because I, I there's a lot of context here that I'm probably really not going to to get from uh, from David Bowie. Well, that's kind of some of the beauty of I think David Bowie's work is it's it's not necessarily super self-referential. I think this album, uh, I mean, you can find that, like, especially in the, I think the video for Black Star, there are, are definite visual references to some of his previous characters, like Major Tom, uh, from Space Oddity. There's, uh, a shot of essentially a skeleton inside a spacesuit. You know, that's definitely a theme he he returned to a lot over his career is uh, space and space travel and and that sort of thing. But other than that, I mean, there you know, there are a couple things that he did several times, you know, which is some of the slang or some of the just odd languages, like made up languages that he would use in lyrics. Like in this album, Girl Loves Me, there's a lot of uh, I'm struggling to remember the name right now, but there's Polari, which is a language that was used a lot by entertainers and travelers in Europe. Um, and then also was adopted by gay men in the 20th century is sort of like code that they could use to talk with each other without being outed. Hmm. And additionally, the uh, God, why am I blanking on it? But from a clockwork orange, there is some of the language used that uh, Anthony Burgess came up with as well. And that, so like that song in particular, like it's, it's really hard to figure out what the hell he's talking about um, without a lot of <laughs> other references. Like he was such a big reader and um, you know, so I kind of look at it as something like anybody can listen to his music, especially something like black star and take what you, you know, you don't necessarily have to know what he specifically was trying to say. You know, I think he was kind of a mysterious guy in general. He, he kind of, he was really good especially in his later years at separating his personal life from his public persona. And I think that's kind of apparent in this, in this album, you know, there, there are some veiled references to what he was struggling with at the time, having been going through his, his cancer diagnosis. And then it wasn't really until after the album was recorded that he learned it, what, you know, there was no going back. Uh, So, you know, he was, grappling with mortality but it wasn't necessarily like as he was recording these songs he knew that these were the last songs he would ever record so oh, okay yeah i'm really interested actually to hear your thoughts on the album as someone who is m- more of a casual bowie fan i mean it, it was very interesting to listen to i mean obviously i was listening to it for the first time while also watching The Wizard of Oz, which is probably not the, the best way to do that, at least not the first time. But I found it very interesting because, you know, I feel like the the Bowie that most people think of, um, you know, people people like me who don't really know most of his work, 
Um, like I, when I was looking up info for the the intro, I I mean I knew the man was prolific, but twenty five albums, right. a ton of music, you know. And here I am, like I I could have named you know two maybe three Bowie songs off the top of my head. The tracks that I really know, you know, they they come from a much more traditional sort of rock and roll, you know, sort of structure. You know, I mean, he he uses some some kind of uh, more challenging chords in a lot of his music, which I really have always enjoyed. You know, you get a lot of that rock and roll stuff and it's just, you know, uh, the same same old chord structures every time. Um, yep. And so I really like a lot of that. But even something like Space Oddity is very accessible. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't think there are many people who are going to be like, oh, I, I can't. I can't handle Space Oddity. It's too out there and weird. And then you get Black Star, which is pretty out there. I mean, it, it's clear that there were a lot of different influences coming in. Um, I did not expect anywhere near as much saxophone on this album <laughs> as I got, which I actually really enjoyed. Like, it was it was some good saxophone. Oh, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there were definitely some songs that were more challenging. Um, a lot of the lyrics just went straight over my head. Um, you know, it's it's good to hear that Girl Loves Me has a lot of things <laughs> that just were kind of intended to go over my head. Right. Because I did not catch the meaning for, you know, most of any of that song. But honestly, you know, it was I think it was a, a really good album. Um, you know, it's it's probably not something I'm going to throw on just any time. You know, I, I tend to go more toward a little bit more... Um, traditional sort of sounds just for background music but you know it's it's an album that i'll probably uh you know pick up and and uh play again for sure cool yeah i'm glad to hear that you were mentioning the saxophone how there is so much saxophone in this album and you know one thing i think is really interesting that people don't necessarily know is that saxophone was david bowie's first instrument huh no i i did not know that yeah so while he had a band come in and they were really playing the sax parts in black star a couple of the songs on the album he had originally recorded with himself playing the sax parts and oh neat yeah so kind of a cool little trivia piece i guess for anybody out there listening awesome um well shall we uh talk about how this uh did or did not sync up with uh, <laughs> the wizard of oz sure <laughs> The the thing that I think, um, you know, and I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead to to a overall sort of impression of how how it worked. There there were a lot of times when it wasn't so much that there was any lyrical content that was really matching up with what was going on, but yet I, the whole time I was strangely transfixed with how the the songs structures and instrumentation all just kind of worked the whole time you know it, it there have been a couple of uh albums that i've done this with where if something is not directly in uh mentioning stuff going on it was actually like kind of boring oh okay i don't feel like i was bored at any point during this like i just i i think about halfway through the the second album play i just kind of stopped taking notes and just was watching it because it was it, it was strangely good and I can't really articulate exactly why 
I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I actually watched it through twice with the album. Um, uh, so I did it first a week ago and then I did it earlier this morning. And the first time I was trying really, really hard to take notes. And, you know, I did notice a couple of times, very, very few times where the lyrics seemed to line up with yeah, things going sure. on. But it really was more like the just the way that the as you said, the structure and and just the sound in general of the movie uh, of the music just kind of flowed really well with the movie in weird ways. I noticed a lot, too, that the dancing, it seemed to have some of the same tempo. Oh, my God. Some yes. of the songs. And it was that was just so strange to me. I couldn't believe it. Every time anybody was doing any sort of dancing, it was perfect. Although when they are doing the, the whole like munchkin scene and, you know, munchkins are dancing all around uh, all around munchkin land. And the the whole time I was just like, oh, this is way too fucking weird. Like <laughs> that track with the munchkins dancing around um i literally wrote the note in all caps i hate the lollipop guild because it worked (laughs) way too creepy and way too well and just their kind of angry sort of faces that they have while they're dancing yeah i was like oh god i hate this but i love it at the same time it was so fucking weird uh yeah totally i mean in a way it's like the lollipop guild there's no way they should have been dancing and singing to the music that's in the original score like as you say they do have like these really bizarrely dark expressions on their faces really angry yeah <laughs> i think at that time i believe it was lazarus playing and, and it seemed to really fit what was going on in Munchkinland. and just like the the lyrics of the song um you know about yay you killed the witch and you killed her so good uh-huh. um you know and it's like all this really peppy cheerful music in in the original score (laughs) it's like really yeah no it's it is kind of a weird thing to think about um just the original score where yeah it is this really upbeat and happy song and you know i get that the wicked witch was wicked but it is kind of um kind of uh morose to be so happy about somebody getting crushed by a house (laughs) yeah like her corpse is right there dudes (laughs) (laughs) show a little respect maybe i don't know (laughs) i mean munchkin land didn't seem like too bad a place um you know so i kind of wonder what the wicked witch really was doing to them i don't know (laughs) i don't know one thing i did want to definitely bring up because i've been working on this theory as i've been recording these episodes is that literally every album is going to work to the uh or for the tornado scene yeah and i was a little bit worried on this one because um it uh, it starts up literally as um uh lazarus is coming on and it's a very like slow sort of uh especially compared to a lot of the other stuff on the album it was a really slow sort of like saxophone jam almost mhm and I was like, oh, no, this is going to ruin my whole theory. And it still strangely worked. Yeah. Well, it, like some of the lyrics in that song, uh, you know, it, while the house is going up into the tornado, he's singing, I'm so high, it makes my brain whirl. Right. And it was just like, holy crap. <laughs> How, it, it, you couldn't have made that happen any more perfectly. It was so weird. Right. Um, I mean, you also get like the line, um, look up here, I'm in heaven when they're literally asking where Dorothy is. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, there's the line about being free like a bluebird, which she was literally singing about in Somewhere Over the Rainbow, about, you know, going where the bluebirds fly. And, like, she's literally going there right now. I was like, oh, God, it's it's still so good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, still the, the tornado scene is... I, I, I'm Again, I mean, I'm only four episodes into this, but so far, even, like, a slow sort of... Uh, saxophone heavy track still works perfectly i'm not sure what it's going to take to ruin this theory (laughs) at this point i look forward to finding out if anything does (laughs) i'm i'm gonna be sad if i ever find one that just doesn't work but yeah so far it still holds up so uh anybody listening who wants to try that uh, i had that lazarus starts basically as the the wind is kicking up and professor marvel is like tending to his horse and then it fades into the ne- that next scene um so try that put on lazarus right then uh it's actually pretty dang good yeah that i think was possibly my favorite part of how the uh, album synced up with the movie uh that scene in general i thought was just so excellent but i did notice a couple of other small points where the lyrics seemed to line up pretty okay okay like especially towards the end when you know the towards the end of the movie when the four end up at the witch's castle and they're trying to get her broomstick that was again during black star playing the title track and you know just mood wise that was pretty cool and yeah then, i enjoyed that a lot yeah just like such an, a a weird song in general with so many different moods to it and so many different phrases and but okay, I'm gonna skip ahead to after the after they take out the Wicked Witch and they return to the Emerald City mm-hmm. to try to get uh, what the wizard had promised them. Their Lazarus is on again, and I don't know, maybe just Lazarus is, is just like the song that works the best with the movie because there's the line, "How many people lie instead of talking tall?" Yeah, I had that one too. Yeah, like stop imagining things is going on at the same time as that. So, like, the, her family thinks that she's lying about this and making up a story. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. I would definitely say that Lazarus was kind of the the star of this album for this experiment. Like, um, you know, there was there was a lot of great mood sort of music for a lot of what was going on. But, yeah, every time Lazarus came up, I was like, nope, this is this is crushing it right here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I do also um it's it's uh kind of fucked up, but like every time uh Tis a Pity She Was a Whore came on, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was always very Dorothy centric moments and I'm like, uh, "Come on, man, like you calling Dorothy a whore because yeah. <laughs> just cuz she's hanging out with three dudes, <laughs> that doesn't make her a whore. Come on." <laughs> Yeah, that was that was pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah, but like like every time, and um, I mean, there was even a part in the last playthrough where it's uh, it's like the line is "Hold your mad hands," and the wizard grabs her hands, and I'm like, all right, oh. we're getting we're getting a little on the nose here for this. Um, wow, I didn't pick up on that one. That's she, so cool. Uh, the, it also is up when they meet the lion, and she like slaps him in the face because he's trying to eat Toto. And there's the line, um, she hit me like a dude or uh, whatever right. that line is. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
Man, she punched me like a dude. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, all right, we get it. Dorothy's a whore. <laughs> I feel very weird um, lingering on this fact because she's like 16, guys. Come on. Right. Yeah. Stop perving on her. <laughs> she's an innocent girl from Kansas. I mean, I guess in, in Oz, just women don't hang out with three dudes at a time or they get maybe they get uh, uh, reputations for that. <laughs> well, when did this movie come out? Was it like 1939 or something yep, like that? 1939. So, you know, I guess at the time they did have those uh, sort of uh, there was a lot of rules around not being chaperoned. Young women were with men. They could be seen as having been sullied or having their reputation sullied yeah that's you know? that's true i mean if you take it in the context for the time um maybe that was enough to to brand her a whore so yeah times change i guess <laughs> so weird to think about that yeah yeah no i just i did enjoy i mean as as awkward as i felt about it i was like oh god every time <laughs> um honestly those were their um most of the the big ones that really like synced up i mean there was again it's it's kind of hard to articulate because a lot of the nice uh the, a lot of the really cool moments were mostly just kind of what was going on with the instrumentation yeah for sure and uh you know like i said they're just for the most part the lyrics i was like okay fine whatever but you know there's so much going on in this album with just you know, they they bring in all kinds of instruments. You know, like I said, it's it's really sax heavy, but there's flutes. I think I heard a clarinet in there at some point. Right. Um, there's a lot of weird ethereal sort of uh, sounds coming off of the vocals. And it all works pretty well for Oz. It really does. There are so many, you know, for such a place for a place that's just so colorful and at least at the beginning, like everything is just so beautiful in Munchkin land and, and most of the countryside. Um, but there are just so many dark characters with the, you know, some of the trees that she encounters, the monkeys, the guards, mm -hmm. obviously the Wicked Witch. You know, it, it was pretty, pretty creepy, uh, pretty dark stuff that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, and just like the idea of this young girl running away from home, getting stuck in a tornado, even just like looking at that part of it. It's just kind of a, you know, there's so many stories for children that have these really, really kind of dark themes behind them that are kind of maybe not really talked about so much uh, for that. Like, like, oh, right. look at this, this lovely musical for children that's so bright and colorful. And isn't it fun? Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, because <laughs> you know, I've uh, I've been watching this over and over again. Um, this is uh, I'm recording uh, this is the third episode I'm recording this week, so uh, I've watched it three times in the last, uh, I don't know, six days. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, so I've been, you know, I've been noticing a lot of, of, a lot more stuff about this movie than I've really ever noticed before, and yeah, I, I think you're right, because when people think about The Wizard of Oz, you know, you think about bright colors, and you think about, um, you know, these upbeat songs, like, you know, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead, or If I Only Had a Brain, or like, it's all very upbeat, happy, they're dancing. But, you know, like, um, last week, uh, my guest was w noting that that scene in the castle where Dorothy has been kidnapped, and 
the Wicked Witch shows up in this crystal ball, he's like, man, that scared me when I was a kid and it scared me today. Like, It is a chilling moment. I mean, uh, and just the, the, the details in just how scary the tornado scene is. I mean... I mean, th- yeah. and this was made in 1939. I'm honestly really impressed with how just terrifying that scene is. And yeah, yeah again, this was a movie that like, you know, we've all kind of grown up on it. I'm sure most people watched it when they were kids, but it's it's got some really dark and terrifying moments in it. It really does. And it's just amazing looking back at it with all of the great um, visual tricks we have these days and, and, and how easy it is to make things look you know, uh, fantasy worlds look realistic and just how much that they got right in this movie visually. It's really amazing to me. I, I was super impressed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was I was just noting the other day that it's like this this movie was made at a time where it's like the thought of owning a movie for home video consumption wasn't even a thought at this point. Oh, and totally. You know, nowadays it's like, oh, we got to get it right because if we, you know, screw something up, nerds on IMDb are going to point out how much we fucked up because they can literally analyze every single frame. But the details in this movie are phenomenal. And and it was, you know, before anybody was going to be able to sit down and analyze it frame by frame. And, you know, I think that's pretty amazing. I don't I honestly don't think I've ever appreciated The Wizard of Oz more than while trying to to do this. I thought I was going to end up hating it, but every time I'm like, oh shit, this is really good. Yeah, I I I'm really surprised because you know, I as I mentioned, I I certainly watched it a number of times as a kid, but it wasn't like my favorite movie as a kid necessarily, and it's something I don't remember but I couldn't tell you the last time I I'd seen it before watching it for this podcast, certainly over a decade ago. And maybe it was in childhood the last time I saw it, but oh my god! Yeah, I think the last time I had seen it um, before this was probably um, we watched it in my film class in college, which was uh, yeah, probably you know about a, a decade ago at this point. So yeah, uh, pretty remarkable how that one really kind of stands the test of time. I don't know that I could think of anything else from around 1939 that is just that visually rich. And holds up so well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I could name another film from 1939 at all, let alone <laughs> yeah. one one that people are still <laughs> watching today in 2018. True. Was there anything else specifically that you noted uh, while watching this where it, it just kind of came out at you and like, you know, it was just a really good moment or... Um, because, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm sort of just like I stopped take this is easily the the episode i've taken the least notes for because i was just you know i i kept just watching it and being like oh that was you know uh, pretty good but like yeah. how do i even articulate you know the the you know there there are lots of no- times when it's like the like they're just going like ooh, ooh like you know and it's it it i literally just have a note that says ooh 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 <laughs> I, I imagine that was going on in the music, but I don't know what I was referring to there. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, you know, I think that's a really good, just, you know, good descriptor <laughs> in general of how this went together. <laughs> 
you know, we could we could have just ended this podcast on that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I do have a couple other notes that I, I took where, um, let's see, one thing I saw is at the beginning when we're back in Munchkin land and we're introduced to the coroner and he starts walking up the stairs it was perfectly to oh, the tempo God, of yes. Girl Loves Me, which mm-hmm. is a pretty slow song, but that was just super weird. It was it, it, the exact same. The beat hitting as he took his step every single stair up. Yeah, and he's kind of like bobbing his head in time yeah. with the music. And I was like, okay, this is making the coroner just like all kinds of creepy here. But right? um, yeah, that was really good. Most of my notes are like the dancing here is really great because every time... Like, I wrote, the Tin Man's dancing is also fucking weird to Blackstar. <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't realize so much in that scene how much of his dance. It's really like looking at the Scarecrow and Dorothy for the reactions. The sort of um, facial language that comes through in, in the facial like reactions in this movie are also just strangely good. Yeah, like, very expressive. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, the Tin Man. Yeah. He just, his face is just so expressive. And, um, you know, again, it's like, I, I've never noticed that before watching it so many freaking times. But <laughs> we've got a couple of albums so far where it's like, if, if you line that up with sort of a romantic sort of sound, it starts uh, raising questions about the Tin oh, Man yeah. and the Scarecrow. <laughs> Did not get that so much in this one. Uh, no. Mostly just everything was creepy as fuck. Right. Totally. Yeah. That. I mean, just it really, as we've talked about, just like the whole dark melancholy tone of the music just synced up so well with the visuals, even though you would think that they wouldn't necessarily go together. So, yeah, absolutely. So did you have any major disappointments watching this? Like, were you know, hoping for any any sort of specific um, themes to come up or things to like sync up in specific ways or? Well, I I don't know that I I could say that I had. I really had tried not to go into it with too much anticipation for specific moments to line up. And again, because it had been so long since I'd seen the movie, I didn't really have a good idea of the pacing of when when the different scenes would happen. Looking back on the watching the movie as a kid, you know, you have this feeling of it being this super, super long movie. And it's not necessarily short, but it goes pretty fast. Yep. It's um, an hour and 41 minutes. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, like you said, it's not terribly long. It is a, a different sort of pacing than we're accustomed to nowadays. But... Right. You know, there are dozens upon dozens of movies that hit that like two hour mark easily. So, yeah, yeah. So I I just think in in general, because I wasn't really I couldn't say like, oh, when they when they start heading toward the Emerald City, it's about at the halfway mark or anything like that. I, I just I tried not to think too much about how the songs particularly might sync up. I just hoped that really the texture of the album would fit with the texture of the visuals in some sort of way. And then everything else that happened would be a bonus really. So I was pretty delighted when, you know, those couple of scenes <laughs> happened that, that really were perfect. Yeah. that That's kind of, I don't know what else to say about that part of it. It just, okay, you know, I wanted to 
not have too much expect too many expectations just in case this was a total flop yeah that that is a (laughs) that is a good uh good way to go into this i think um because you know for for me like i said I, i had never listened to this album before in my life so i i had zero expectations like the moment saxophone started playing i was like well anything i know about bowie is now (laughs) now wrong because i didn't expect like jazzy saxophone to be in this. oh yeah um but yeah it's i think it's uh it's good to not have too many expectations because we've uh i've done a couple of episodes now where it's like um you know there was one where it's like the there's a whole song about like a lion and it never once synced up with the lion at any point and it's just like it was disappointment oh yeah throughout i mean it it got i think three repeats and the lion didn't sync up with it any time what the hell and so i think it's i think it's better to go into something like this kind of not having those expectations because i i definitely think when some people chose their album they're like oh yeah you know i bet this is going to sync up with with um this moment in the film and that'd be so really great and then it's off by like 20 minutes right you know it's it's just it's gonna get it's gonna be a letdown every time so yeah definitely yeah i mean there there were you know i could sit here and think of a ton of albums now that i would love to try this with (laughs) uh so i'm super looking forward to hearing all of your episodes and you know, kind of getting some ideas, things to try on my own, uh, see what works for me and and doesn't. But, you know, I I think going into it with the whole, just the mindset that you're, you're trying to look for an album where the sounds are really, they really set a mood or they really sort of set a tone and going at it that way, like sort of more of an impressionistic approach rather than, you know, focusing on the lyrical content, I think is probably the way to go. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to me, because four episodes into this, I'm still not exactly sure what is going to make for the best album. Because um, I think probably so far, the one I've liked the most was Bare Naked Ladies Stunt. No way. Yes. Um, it, it was so fucking good. And I would not have expected that. At all, because it's Bare Naked Ladies. The album literally starts out with one week. Oh, my God. That is nuts. And so I was like, oh, man, like, you know, it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be kind of garbage. You know, I wasn't. (laughs) And just the number of times that something actually worked perfectly. I was like, oh, man, this is fucking crazy. And then something, you know, like kind of weird experimental David Bowie, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I bet there's going to be a lot of, you know, really neat stuff going on. And, you know, it it, it definitely uh, was interesting. But, you right. know, it's, it's yeah, I, I, I'm hoping, hopefully by the end of this season, I will be able to sit down and be like, okay, I think here's what a good album to do this with is. But, you know, if if Four episodes in, I'm still like Bare Naked Ladies was the best one so far. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? We could, you know, maybe the Bare Naked Ladies, surprisingly, were um, just filming or <laughs> recording all their music to this movie. And that's like the secret behind their success. Could be. <laughs> Have I'm curious, did you ever watch this with Dark Side of the Moon? 
Yes, um, I have done that before, um, and it's luckily that that's pretty easy to find on like YouTube and stuff because you know a lot of people are into that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think kind of the the general consensus for people who are really into that is like it works really great that first playthrough, and then after that, it kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of agree with that. There, there are some really like crazy moments that sync up in. Uh, the dark side of the moon with the wizard of oz sure and like i i get why people are into that as much as they are because you know there's a lot of it where it's kind of like okay yeah whatever that was kind of fine and then there are moments where it's like you know she's um literally walking on the the fence of the pig pen as it's the the lyric is something about balancing um the good witch like flies off into the in her bubble as the the lyric uh bye bye like goodbye or something about farewell i don't even remember at this point but like gone, some of gone them again are, maybe yeah some of them are just fucking perfect and you know but then yeah it kind of falls oh. apart on the the second playthrough yeah but um you know i hope i'm i'm wondering if i can find something that's going to be better than the uh dark side of the moon yeah we'll find out that's that's the one to top it's gonna be it's gonna be (laughs) difficult to top that one i think well if anybody's gonna do it it'll it'll probably be you with this project so (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we uh, we'll see i've got i've got a couple of weird ones coming up um uh somebody's uh interested in doing this to a Backstreet Boys album. So Oh man. <laughs> I'm waiting for that one to accidentally be the perfect one. <laughs> because that I, would you just You know, I really hope it's going to be something like that where it's just like nobody's going to see it coming. <laughs> it's just going to be this, you know, what just this piece of pure pop music and uh... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um Unless you had any other specific moments in this you wanted to talk about, my question now is: if you were if you were to judge this on a scale, um, sort of like some sort of evil Yelp, where it's one black star to ten black stars, uh, where one is it was just garbage, would not recommend to anybody. And 10 black stars being like, everybody should absolutely check this out. Uh, what would you rate this as? I think I would give it uh, probably a seven. Maybe, you know, maybe on a pessimistic day, I'd go down to a six. Just if, if you're looking for it to really, really line up, then, you know, maybe this isn't the best album in terms of the lyrics with the what's going on in the movie. But if you're looking for something that sounds great and, and just kind of sets a tone, then I think this is a good one to go for. So yeah, let's, let's call it a six and a half. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have such a hard fucking time grading this one specifically because, you know, like we said, there's not a ton of stuff lyrically that really, you know, works like it does in, for example, um, you know, dark side of the moon, but just the general feel um i mean like i said i just i stopped taking notes not it was about 50 50 because i didn't really have anything to take notes for but also just like i was really interested in watching this yeah Um, it's it's really tough um i'm gonna say probably about a a five 
Okay. Um, just because it's kind of a it's kind of a hit or miss. It, like if you are going in for that, you know, I really want my lyrics to sync up with this, um, you know, like they supposedly do with Dark Side of the Moon, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. But, you know, if you want sort of a, a weird, trippy kind of experience where the instrumentation just is actually pretty phenomenal, this is definitely one to check out. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to judge because of that. So, you know, I'm going to give it kind of right down the middle with a five. I think that's fair. All right. With all of that, I, I think that's going to wrap up uh, David Bowie's Black Star Tara, why don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find out more about your podcast and, and kind of what that's all about? Yeah. Uh, so our podcast is um, you can subscribe to it anywhere you can find podcasts. But uh, I would recommend checking out our website, which is Tara and Andrew dot com. Um, you can find us on all the different social media platforms as well if you want to get in touch. So our podcast uh is one where we're randomly selecting movies from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. For those of you who aren't from the Seattle area, Scarecrow is this really amazing local video store that has a gigantic selection of movies that you can't find anywhere else. It's something like, I don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of titles that they have access to. Oh, geez. Um, it's like a labyrinth. You go in and you can find things in all these obscure formats. Like you can find... VHSs and foreign format movies and, you know, they have equipment you can rent so you can watch all this really cool, obscure stuff. So it's like this treasure trove of basically every every kind of movie you could think of. We're just really trying to broaden our, our horizons and get exposed to movies that we wouldn't have necessarily picked on our own. So we pick movies totally at random from this movie guide and we have to watch them no matter what, as long as we haven't seen it. And that's basically it. You know, we, we go in, we watch the movie and do some research and give our feedback on it and any interesting trivia or facts we can find. Plus, it's a pretty short listen. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it's not your jam, then you haven't lost a whole lot of time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. Um, You know, I... I always considered myself like a, a film buff until I started talking with actual film buffs. And I'm like, I have no idea what movies you just even were talking about. So yeah, that that uh, idea got squashed pretty quick. So I'm but I'm I'm into <laughs> that idea of like, you know, checking out movies that you haven't really seen before. So yeah, it's pretty cool. We've seen things that we never ever would have picked on our own that um, either we ended up hating but then <laughs> there have been certainly many more i think that we saw that we wouldn't have picked out on our own and really really fell in love so yeah it's been really fun fantastic um so yeah if, if you enjoyed this uh, episode um you know go go check out tara and andrew versus the scarecrow video movie guide i think that will do it for us this week also i mean if you haven't checked out david bowie's black star i'd i'd actually give it a listen i mean you know is i i imagine probably a lot of people who are way more into bowie have checked it out but it's brand new to me and i thought it was really interesting so uh, i would definitely recommend that to everybody and uh until next time uh 
I still I'm four episodes in and I don't think I actually have a sign off yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think on episode uh, one, I hmm. said something about uh, over the rainbow and then I haven't been doing it. But um, yeah, until until next time, I'll see you on the other side of the rainbow. I think that's my sign off. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Just go with that one. Yeah. This has been Any Album You Like. I'm your host, Ben Mooney. If you would like to contact me about this or any other episode of the podcast, you can email me at anyalbumyoulike at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at anyalbum. If you liked this episode, consider leaving a review for it on iTunes. If you'd like to support me further, you can also buy me a coffee. The link for that is in the episode notes, or you can go directly to ko-fi.com slash Ben Mooney. That's B-E-N-M-O-O-N-E-Y.